Beloved, our text for this morning is from 1 John chapter 4. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I can be a a nervous gift giver. It's hard for me to figure out what the best gift is for a loved one or a friend. And I get rather nervous because I get anxious about their reaction to the gift when they open it. What will they say? There's a lot of familiar sayings that I've heard many times over the years. Oh, you shouldn't have. Sometimes that's meant in the kindest way possible. Other times it's meant, no, really, you shouldn't have gotten me this gift. It's ridiculous. Um, And then there are also times when somebody might say something even worse, like, oh boy, isn't this a surprise? They are so confused by your gift for them that they can't even come up with a courteous response of thanks, just shock at your failure to understand them. Not everyone is a gracious gift recipient, and not everyone is a skilled gift giver. I am probably not the most skilled gift giver, and I'm probably not even the most gracious gift recipient. However, God is the perfect gift giver. And yet we often fail to be gracious gift receivers of his gifts. And it's often that way with the gift of love sometimes. Um, Not everyone receives it well in every circumstance, that is. Love is always a gift as I see it. And you probably know When you put your heart out there, you're taking a little bit of a risk. It can either be returned in love, or it can be crushed in rejection. Love is a risk. And God knows about the risk of love. In our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah, he says, This is like the days of Noah to me. The days of Noah, as you may recall, were days when man was hell-bent on sinning. All of their actions were selfish and self-serving. The whole world was failing to reflect their creator's love. And so God, in sadness and distress decided to wipe out all of his creation. Every beast on the field, every man and woman that he created. Yet he spared one man and his family and animals so that he might continue in his loving care of his creation. And then over time, it wasn't too much longer until man turned against God once more, fell away from his gracious gifts, and rejected him. Our gospel lesson, written by John, focuses on on this reality. 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John's recalling a a moment in Israel's history, a shared history of the people of God. You see, they were descendants there of, of Noah, and they have been given promise after promise. In fact, they had just received God's salvation from the Egyptians who had enslaved them. He brought them out of Egypt and was leading them to his promised land. He was leading them in his promised love for them. And yet they rejected him. They despised him. They were grumbling. They didn't notice all of the gifts that he had provided for them. He provided food for them daily. Their sandals did not wear out. They didn't have achy legs after walking day after day. They were in good health. And yet they turned against God and said, I'd rather live in slavery and know what I'm getting than follow you into your promised love. There's a little bit of unknown in what God promises us in his love. And some people, especially these people, were afraid of it. So they brought upon them a curse, a curse of snakes that when they were bitten by them would result in their death. But God also gave a promise of mercy. A bronze serpent was made and lifted up that whoever was bit simply had to turn and remember God's promise and they would be healed. So John points out rightly that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, must be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We fall away. We reject God's promises. We fail to notice how he provides for us day in and day out. And yet, God calls us to turn to Jesus, to remember the greatest gift. Some gifts can be so generous, so rich with sacrifice, that we find ourselves embarrassed to receive them. Some might even feel this way about the gift of Jesus. Who am I to receive life and life eternal in him? Why should an innocent man die for me? When I reflect on my sin, I realize how unworthy I am For this gift that God has given me. And so that can fill me with maybe embarrassment over my sin. Which might cause me to reject all of that altogether. Or turn and seek his comfort. But John makes something clear for us. He says this. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world through him might be saved. The gift of love, the gift of Jesus Christ came down so that you might be set free and in and free in his love. Not to make you feel unworthy of such a gift. Rather, he has made you precious and his own. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And though you have fallen away in your sin, he has redeemed you from the grave Because of his love. I am convinced unless we are overcome 
with God's love for us in Jesus Christ, our love for God and one another will be shallow at best. The essence of Christianity is not so much that we love God and others, but that God the Father loves us enough to send his own Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. Of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the tomb, and with him, with that brings him eternal life for all, so that we might live in the hope and assurance of life eternal with a God who loves us perfectly, who's made us perfectly, who has redeemed us perfectly. Notice that John in our epistle says this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Simply loving God and our neighbor doesn't constitute true Christianity. It does fulfill the law, that is, love is the fulfillment of the law, but it doesn't get to Christianity at its deepest. It misses the cru- crucial motivation that we have for loving God and others, our receiving God's love first in Jesus Christ. We don't love because it's the right thing to do or the humane thing to do. We give love because God in Jesus Christ has loved us. We know a love that's great and it overwhelms us. It pours out of us and it's shared with others. We love God and others because the loving gift of Jesus Christ continues to transform us. We love God because God first gave us love. And that is what God claims us as, his beloved. He declares us his own. We did not merit it. There is nothing that we can do to earn his love. It's a free gift for us, even in our brokenness. As you recall in the Old Testament lesson, the days before God were like Noah. But if we read verse 10, God said this, My steadfast love shall not depart from you. God could see evil all around. His creation was rejecting him time and time again. And yet he was steadfast in his love then, now, then and now for us. We can give thanks to God that we know this love that transforms us. Ultimately, what matters, what survives, what gives life and meaning is that we are loved by God. That is no doubt why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, these three abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The gift of love endures and takes us to God who is love. So I pray that during this Advent season, as the world is preparing for Christmas and celebrating the holiday season, that you might be a vessel overflowing with love. That you might know God's love for you and that love might flow out from you towards others in generosity. You may not be great at picking just the right gift. But you can always be great by God's gracious love 
to share love, hope, and peace with others. Through a smile, a hug, noticing when someone is hurt, appreciating a friend. God gives you this love. He has claimed you in this love. And I pray that that love might go out from you to others. In Jesus' name, amen.